The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both inside and outside the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. In a world that equates loving with consuming and affection with erotica, can men and women be friends? That's what we'll be discussing with our special guest, Amy Bird, today, the author of Why Can't We Be Friends? Purity is not, no, avoidance is not purity. (laughs) Avoidance is not purity. Um, Purity is not. I'm Elizabeth Goss. I'm Becky Robinson. And we we are the Monstrous Regiment. (laughs) Um, Today we have with us, like I said, Amy Bird. She wrote this book that I can't show you, but we will show you later. Um, Why Can't We Be Friends? Why Avoidance Is Not Purity? And um, we're really, really excited to talk to her and ask her some questions. Hi, Amy. Hi. It's good to be on. Uh, Amy's also a much more seasoned podcaster than us. She's the co-host of The Mortification of Spin, which I believe is also a a blog. And she blogs at housewifetheologian.com. So we are in the presence of advanced (laughs) people, something. (laughs) um, uh, We really, really enjoyed your book. And um, I think it's really important and timely. And... um, other adjectives that I have completely escaped me suddenly, but it's really, really exciting to meet you. And um, so if it's asking some questions about, well, why did you write the book? That's a good question to start with. It's a starter, yeah. Right. I kind of opened the book saying that this is the book that I didn't want to write because I knew that the controversy that it would cause and, um, People might be surprised to hear that I really don't like (laughs) controversy, but um, I found myself in a position where I just felt like I had to write it because nobody else was. And in the world that I'm in and the evangelical subculture as a woman and a writer and around a lot of different theologians, um, I'm just finding more and more tension from the over-sexual over-sexualizing of men and women in the church. So I found myself in interesting situations and conversations over and over and over again. And um, I just thought, you know what, we really need a theological explanation of friendship between the sexes and what our status is in Christ. Um, My original title for the book was actually We Are God's People because um, really that's the point. The book is more about living in community and promoting holiness in our relationships than it is about just like, you know, what to do in your friendships one-on-one or or to, you know, have some sort of one-on-one relationship with all these different people. It's not really about exclusive relationships and uh, marriage would definitely be in that category more, but it's, it's about being friends. How does a friend behave? How are we to love one another deeply, um, as Paul tells us? And and who are we in Christ? Well, we see in Scripture almost a hundred times that we're addressed directly as brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does that mean? 
yeah. that's what I wanted to talk about. It's interesting that it's it's not a topic that ever, ever gets talked about, which is why you wrote the book, like you said. But it, it's funny that you don't even think about it, or at least I didn't for my whole adult Christian life or growing up in the church. Didn't even think about questioning all the things that I learned about how to relate to men. And you just weren't friends with men. That just was the bottom line. And mm. I never really thought about it until I was an adult. So it is as sing- we're both single. So it's in, in the last few years, it is a tightrope navigating like where do you belong in the church as a single woman? Because if it's seen as, um, if it's seen, you know, too often it's seen that women are sort of helpers to their husbands specifically instead of helpers as womankind to the body of Christ. And so right. if you have a husband, what do you do? What are we here for? Mm-hmm. Except for trying to not be too tempting. <laughs> right. And even like <laughs> what that word helper means. Right. Because, you know, when we see God created man and woman and, and woman described as this azer, I mean, it's it's a word that is a cor- it means a corresponding strength yeah. to man, and and so that's a lot more than the way that we look at the word helper in today's world and language, which is kind of more of a assistant or um, you know it's an inferior you know maybe not even necessary um, addition. So like man, man is already complete right. without the woman. But, you know, this helper could come along and, and, and fetch some things for him, maybe, you know. So I really think uh, in my book, No Little Women, I really tried to um, dig deep into what that term helper really means and um, how it's described, how God is described using this word. So he's using this same word to describe himself. Right. And, and that's the first word used to describe woman. So, um, you know, without man, it was not good. I mean, without woman, it was not good. So... Right. Just understanding, I think, um, the dynamics between men and women, too, in our function um, under God's mission in his household is very important to then understanding this dynamic of brothers and sisters and um, being in the body of Christ. Yeah, I sometimes say that people get help mixed up with the help. (laughs) Yeah. Sandwich making instead of, which is waitresses. A lovely thing to do for someone you love, but it's not what help in that context means. Right. Um, did you want to go first with the list? Or? Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, we wrote down some questions. Um, I wanted to start us off with, um, in your book, you talk about the Billy Crystal rule. Mm-hmm. And so for people who have not read the book yet, or um, are maybe not familiar with the movie that you talk about, um, can you kind of tell us what that is and what you mean by that? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I am old enough to have watched that movie when it first came out and it was almost 30 years ago. And it was, uh, Billy Crystal in this movie plays this character, Harry Burns, right. And and it's called when Harry met Sally. And so he and Sally are in the car. They, they both have just met and they both are new to New York and they're sharing a cab, I think. And he explains his philosophy to her that men and women can never be friends because the sex, sex part always gets in the way. So um, I kind of describe in the book that over 30 or almost 30 years later, here we are as the church kind of describing or looking at men and women through the the Billy Crystal lens still. Um, We have, you know, for good reason, wanted to react 
to the sexual revolution all around us, but the pendulum has kind of swung to where we've overreacted and, and we too have over-sexualized. And so women kind of become unofficially like, you know, either land a husband <laughs> or we're, could be a threat to other people's husbands. And um, I know that's not what the church really wants to teach. So this is, you know, a big blind spot. I think that we need to examine more. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, in the context of the sort of Billy Crystal rule, do you think that that is, that, do you think that finds its sort of that thinking um, in the church finds its root in sort of Roman paganism more than any, than any kind of? Yeah, and that is really um, something I would have loved to have gotten more deeper into in my book, which I didn't really have the parameters to go that far. Um and I needed to narrow things down. But definitely that goes back into Roman paganism, or really ancient, way before that, that paganism, um, with the way that women were viewed. And even in, um, in the, their religious rituals, um, you know, goddesses functioned really as, you know, for fertility and sex. Um, so they just kind of, re- the goddesses really, they weren't some big feminist woman power thing they were really enforcing the gender tropes then. Right. So, yeah. And the Christianity rescued all of that, you know, and took shame away from women. And so we want to, um, we want to emphasize that, you know, the creation of woman and what it was for and then how the fall affected that, but then how Christ has redeemed all of that now. And right. so how we can truly live, you know, we're not living under the reign of sin. We're living under the reign of grace. And I think that is one of the biggest um, differences in how we're talking past one another in this discussion, because absolutely we need to um, take sin seriously and uphold holiness. But um, as people who the Holy Spirit has made into new creations and he now embodies us, we are able to do that. We are able to be good and holy. We're called to do that. So we, we shouldn't be um, talking as if we are living under the reign of sin. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. And one, one of the things that it's not just demeaning to women when we talk about us being under the reign of sin in that way, but it's really when you talk about men as though they are incapable of seeing half of the um, species as anything but a sexual object, that's mm-hmm. really not... Like men are saying it about themselves, but I have no idea why, because it's a very demeaning thing to say about men. And it's a demeaning thing to say about um, God's creative purpose, as though he just sort of made talking beasts (laughs) or something. Um, Yeah, I mean, it really reduces the way that men look at women. Like we're not holistic beings with um, brains and creativity and intelligence and you know, all these spiritual things to offer. Um, instead, it's, it's just that we are sexual beings and that is it. And, and that's really sad. And I've heard from so many men who have responded in a thankful way saying, thank you. Um, but I can have a conversation with a woman in the elevator without feeling like I need to jump her bones the entire time or wondering, you know, if that's going to happen. You know, all these um, critiques that I'm getting in that, in that manner 
um, that actually I am able to behave myself pretty well, <laughs> and most normal men can. We've um, experienced a lot of that too when we've been not in the same sort of wider sphere, but just in our small circles when we talk about these things. We've had a couple of men say, you know, I didn't even realize that I was thinking about women this way, and now I'm just seeing them as people, and it's so much Oh, fight this lust on a constant rain. I just don't have Talking it. Talking to other humans. Uh, <laughs> and and it's been, that nice? We've known a couple of men who've really experienced like a huge amount of like very sudden freedom just by thinking, oh, I see. Just like, yep, that's my sister. And that's it. And then it just sets it loose. Um, yep. And that really leads in. Uh, my next question was actually super was re- relevant to that where I was, I was going to ask, how do you think uh, isolation between the sexes, between men and women uh, relates to a culture of objectification? Um, how does that support that? Cause I think that a lot of Christians don't even think of it in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This idea that like women li- travel in their circles and men travel in their right. circles and, and how that two only meet after a ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think it, it, it can definitely intensify this sexual energy that they're trying to combat by um, making us more mysterious and more sexual by separating in every little way. And and not every church does that. Um, But, you know, there are definitely extreme examples of that. And I certainly hear from them, but um, yeah, when we make everything taboo, like normal interactions, then, um, I do think it increases the desire then to think of one another as these sexual mysterious beings. And it's interesting because, you know, my husband works in the secular world. He's in the public school system as an administrator. And, and so he interacts with a lot of women uh, on a regular basis and doesn't have the luxury of these like um, you know, Billy Graham rule or Mike Pence rule type ways of living um, where I really do think it stunts your growth um, to p- apply blanket boundaries like that. We do need to have discernment and wisdom in all of our interactions and certainly will be wise to have boundaries in different situations. But, um, you know, he shared his office with the community liaison who is a woman. So um, I'm happy and thankful that in my 21 years of marriage, my husband has, has grown in his maturity and that, that I am confident that he actually promotes their goodness, you know, of, of the women that he has to share an office with or work with on something and um, that he can be friendly to them and not destructive. Right. Because he's a human being and they're human beings. <laughs> <laughs> so simple. I mean, uh, and, you know, I wasn't going to, this wasn't part of my notes, but my ex-husband was actually a serial adulterer, just... Well, However much adultery you think that he commits, yeah. a lot more than that. Um, I'm laughing, but <laughs> it's not funny. It's kind of funny just in how much, <laughs> how much. But there's not what I discovered from that is there's not enough rules that you can put a place that for someone who has adultery in their heart, which is right. where Jesus says that it, it it resides. You know, I had access to his email, and he just started new emails. There's not enough rules that you can put a place. There's not that enough tense rules. A good point. I mean, you know, there's that saying that a cheater's going to cheat. <laughs> and, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that saying. Um, 
of course, there's those who would think that they would never do such a thing, and then they end up, you know, we need to be careful because we can fall. Sure. Um, and that's why it's so important to to be directed towards what is good and what true purity is and how that that's not something that uh, is just a withholding of, a, of ourself, you know, all the time as it is an offering to the Lord. And if we don't have that proper or, orientation for how our affections are d- directed, then these rules, I mean, yeah, they don't really, all they do is really tell us that the problem is on the outside. It's and that's more likely to fall into temptation because we think, oh, no, we're safe. You either think you're so safe because you have such a high regard for your own integrity that you just don't, you think, oh, it's impossible to stumble me. I can't fall. Or you think, well, I have all these rules. I'm safe. Well, you're not. You get stuck in an elevator. Where, have, where were your rules? <laughs> right. And an adulterer is somebody who is seeing how they can consume women, right? And they might even think of that in their in relationship with their wife. What I'm trying to help teach is how, you know, we're serving people in our relationships and and promoting their goodness. And when we think of other people that way, um, as we should, um, as, you know, God's created beings in his image, you know, even unbelievers are still created in the image of God. What does that mean? You know, and how we're to treat them then. Um, It's not about consuming it's about serving. And it's not about lawfully consuming or unlawfully consuming. It's you never are consuming other right. human. Mm-hmm. What you experience through intimacy and marriage is not consuming another person with, you know, God's. No, and that's something that is a special union of one flesh. Right. So, you know, having a proper understanding of that as well is very important. Okay, absolutely. And, um, I absolutely agree. The other thing I want to ask, I think it's kind of related to that. Um, when you elevate sort of same-sex friendships as to be sort of a higher and purer kind of friendship because um, male-female friendships are inherently sexual, according to that view, that kind of automatically elevates same-sex friendships as to be more pure because there's not that sexual element. And when you elevate them in that way and then sort of degrade male-female friendships, do you think that that um, contributes to a culture of homosexuality where you feel like you can only have sort of a true union with someone who's the same as you? Uh, um, huh. That's a good question. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I do think that it really challenges those who are same-sex attracted, too, because um, where do they fit in then? Um, if, if I'm a woman, and let's say I struggled with that, and I can't have meaningful relationships with the men in the church or interactions, I should even say. But then now, um, is it the same thing for the women in the church as well? Um, what, what, how do we counsel them? That's you know, a good question, because who can they be friends with then? And we are made for community. It's very isolating. Yeah. We're made for community. That's the whole point of the book, is that um, we are made for eternal communion with the triune God and one another. That's amazing. And, you know, when we really think about that as our direction and our eternal living on the new heavens and the new earth, it really should shape the way we're living now as we're being prepared for that as new creations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, especially like 
this is Reconstructionist Radio, which means most of the people involved in this production have an eschatology, a post-millennial eschatology. We believe that, or they believe, some of us believe that it that will actually come to pass on this earth in some way. We should be living that out. Yeah, I would especially think a post-millennialist would really want to live that out then. You'd be surprised how many who call themselves post-millennialists are very resistant to wanting to live out a life where they are experiencing the relationship between their sisters and brothers that they expect to to bring about, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you'd be surprised. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's not it. Yeah. Um, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but we wanted to talk about that scripture in Genesis 2.18 where God says it's not good for man to be alone. Um, I think we only ever think about it in the context of marriage, of a, of a husband meeting a wife. Um, but do you think that it was broader than that, that God meant it? No. I think that you know, we're learning two different things in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2. And we're learning about marriage. And, and Paul tells us um, that this is a great mystery, you know, because it's really a picture of Christ's love for his bride. But we're also like, you know, Adam represents man and Eve represents woman. Right. So we're also learning about, you know, God's mission for the world and and how man and woman fit into that. So I definitely think that it, we're learning about way more than than marriage, even though we are learning about marriage in there. Well, and not all men and, and women are going to be married. Right. I, I don't think it necessarily is saying it's not good for any man to be unmarried. It's saying it's right. good for us to be out, like you said, outside of community. It's not good for mankind to be without womankind, and it's not good for womankind to be without mankind. And we image God in that way. Yeah. And we can't fully image him alone as women or as men. Men are not. Right. It's only together as men and women yeah. in marriage or just taking dominion together. Yeah. Sadly, I've seen, I've seen the argument made a lot of times that that scripture is actually justifying the consumption of women, that godly men can't be alone and they need a woman to like channel all of their. That is so so strange in general, as we see, you know, people like Paul himself or Jesus, not marrying (laughs) and being fully complete in the Lord. Right, right, right. And and there's an I, I think there's a thought that well Jesus is God, so of course he can do it. But it says that he was subject to all temptation that any of us are subject to. Right. So, so for Paul to even say that it's good for women to be single, that was revolutionary because right. there was no such thing in that culture. I mean, women were meant to marry and have sons. In a patriarchal culture, that's just what they were meant to do. A mechanism for us to like feed ourselves and stay alive, right? <laughs> Without, <laughs> you, you know, outside of right immorality or basically just dependence on the church, right? So, um, yeah, it's a completely revolutionary thing to say. Um. Uh, so, in answer to sort of a predicting objections, and of course, objections you've already seen. Um, people I've, I've already seen when I was just sort of promoting your book, um, cause I was enthusiastic about it. People being like, so you would go and you'd get pedicures with a man or you'd go shopping. What, in your opinion, would a male female friendship, I, in every way be identical to, um, an exclusively male or an exclusively female 
I'm just going to give you the opportunity to answer that. Of course not. I mean, and nowhere in my book am I telling everyone it's okay to now have candlelight dinners alone with the opposite sex or, you know, go on vacation together. You know, I'm calling for wisdom and discernment throughout the book, um, which is very important. But um, and, and so much of this is just common sense. Right. I mean, I keep saying there's just, there's a lot of really good theology behind common sense. And, and so when people kind of toss out comments like that, um, it just really shows me that they're, they're not getting any of the gist of, of what we're talking about here at all. It's, it's purely yeah. off the rails kind of comment that isn't right. Obviously none of us are going to go like I would with her open a bottle of wine at midnight, <laughs> put my head in their lap. <laughs> Right. I mean, and I say in the book that male female friendships are different than male and male or women and women. It's a different dynamic for sure. And so, but we know that. Right. And that's one of the reasons we wouldn't do those unwise things because it's also just not so natural. It's not a natural thing that you would do. My, I do have male <laughs> friends and they do weird things like send me videos of people popping zits and just <laughs> things that I immediately delete. That I would never want to look at. <laughs> and, you know, all men are, you know, there, there's probably some women who would enjoy that also, I guess, but uh, not to, to generalize too much, but like being friends with a man, you're going to have a different set of things that you even want to do together or even right. enjoy discussing together. Mm -hmm. And you're both, I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about friendship as being pointed towards, towards a, a towards Christ or towards a common mission. Yeah. Together, like shoulder to shoulder. One another. Right. Uh, if you're shoulder to shoulder towards something with someone and that something is Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be subject to those things unless you're single and that's something that's in a great channel for your friendship right. to take. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, being I mean, inside of a Holy Spirit is very self-governing. Like you can, you, you don't need to be told you're, you know, naturally through Christ, what is and isn't acceptable or appropriate. You don't need to be what's maturity. Right. <laughs> right. We already know those kind of kinds of things. And we know that we need to seek out, um, counsel and wisdom for the areas that we don't know too. And I mean, I think that's why living in community is so important yeah. that um, when we you know, go off on our own and our own reasoning, maybe we do get a little stupider. So it, it is important to always be living within community. Even, you know, our relationships are before the Lord. And so that is an important dynamic to keep in mind in all of this. And that's why it's such a theological issue and why I talk about so many different theological strands throughout the book, because I mean, those kind of questions are just immature questions. Right. And right. They, yeah, because, because we, of course, we're going to still be in accountability because we won't be abandoning the fellowship of ourselves together. Right. And you, you shouldn't be having, obviously, any kind of secrets or anything like that. And so there would be, right. like, if you had a friendship with a guy and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I would ask you and I would hold you accountable to that. Uh, talking about those, uh, you know, self-governing and being friends and relating to men. Um, how do you think that it uh, affects or changes your marriage relationship once you, um, like being friends with someone before you marry them versus a lot right. of situations where you jump in and you kind of get to know each other in the context of marriage? Like, how do you think that that 
affects your marriage, basically. It does. And, and I talk about that in the book because um, there are, you know, you're in an exclusive relationship when you're married that is this inner circle that is different than friendships are. Right. So this is something that we do want to, to guard and to protect and to uphold. And um, as I was talking about, two becoming one flesh, this is something that we're always communicating with our spouses about, too. And, and I really appreciate not only um, in interactions with other men, but even my friendships with women. Like, my husband has uh, given me a different set of eyes in some ways and warned me, like, you know what, I think this person has, is kind of really competitive with you for odd reasons. And you know, I, I don't know that she's really a true friend. Yeah. And I had to think about that. And, and he was right. And then in any in interactions in that way too, that we would want to honor our spouse for one, right? always, you know, be wanting to be in communication with them and never do anything that they would be uncomfortable with. Right. And then also to, um, to heed their counsel in those kind of areas. You know, if, if I were to think that someone was flirting with my husband and he didn't see it, well, I'm going to tell him that, you know, and I, I expect him to, to respect that and vice versa. So um, I'm not saying, Hey, let's play with fire or let's, you know, be flirty with the other sex or anything like that. I'm saying let's treat one another the way that we're called to do. Right. Right. Which I think that you, I think we miss out on a lot when we don't think about the perspective that a man brings. And even just for myself in the last couple of years, being able to be friends with men and having this sort of new, uh, renewed mindset towards men as image bearers versus like men as objects. Mm-hmm. Um, like the perspective that a man can give you about what it's like to be a man and his viewpoint is so, so important. And it's so important to uh, how I view other people and relate to them. And um, we miss out on a lot when we sort of like isolate away from them. Um, how do you think that it changes your marriage uh, to have been friends before you got married? Because I think I, a lot of Christian circles, they want to push you into um, getting married to someone that you, because you're not allowed to be friends. Yeah. It puts you in a weird position where if you get married, you're now in a position where you're you're married and you're in like the most intimate relationship possible with someone that you don't really know. Right. So how do you think that kind of changes it? Yeah. I mean, and that's why I think that this brother sister understanding is so important because like even just growing up with a brother, I think I learned a lot, not only about men, but about myself as a woman. Yeah. And then how to relate to guy friends. Um, I felt like I had good dynamics already set in place um, when I got married to understand friendship and to understand uh, men a little better. And for men, same thing. I kind of joke around sometimes that I tell my daughters, you know, try to marry a guy who has sisters. <laughs> because really, though? Because <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get an inside look. Yeah. I mean, I do think, you know, our friendships, you know, having that brother-sister dynamic understanding really helps us in a platonic way yeah, um, to grow an understanding of the opposite sex as well. And, and I think it helps us learn more about our insects. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that I have, I have five sisters and two brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, And I feel like a a man having sisters helps him. um, Well, you do help each other, but 
I think one of the things that we've talked about in some of our other uh, podcasts has been how um, men are not allowed to be like experience emotion or express emotion because uh, it's not considered manly or machismo or whatever. Uh, but my brothers, through having sisters, they were able to be in touch with that, and it and they're really manly guys. You know, they're really. And um, one of them is a Christ follower and a and a really solid guy, and he is very comfortable now with um, just talking to his wife and being a friend and uh, being emotional in the right way. And it's been it's really helpful, I think. Don't you feel like you helped prepare your brothers for marriage? Yeah, so Joel, you're welcome. <laughs> he said, "Like, um, oh no, he hopes that, that he has um, daughters before sons because he just thinks every boy should yes. have." Older sister. Aww. <laughs> what a compliment. So we talked about uh, friendship before marriage, friendship in marriage, brothers and sisters. So I think we're moving on to, I don't know if we've asked uh, this one. I think we're on this one. Okay. Yeah. So the famous. Okay. Yes. So I was reading Doug Wilson's scared or something. He is <laughs> He, he's taking on your book chapter by chapter. I understand. Yeah, I've been made aware. He's apparently doing a critical review of every chapter of my book. And uh, there's a lot of chapters in there. So <laughs> that is so busy. Yeah. There's 13 chapters. It's a <laughs> yeah. lot. It's a that, lot. I mean, that's a lot of time to devote to a book you don't want anyone to read. Right. Um, I, you know, I don't want to be mean. It just seems like he's threatened by the idea of men and women growing up and being mature. I don't know if that's part some of the reason. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was reading some of it. I do not have time to, to right. read all. I already read all the chapters, so I don't can't read all of them. <laughs> but his it seems like his basic refutation is just restating the Billy Crystal rule as fact. Just, she says it's not true, but it is. <laughs> so, uh, I haven't seen if, all, um, any, in a couple I've read, any disagreement with my theology. It's just, yeah, but, let's just say, and then it's back to sex again. Right. And, and it's, um, to me, it's teaching me more, like, about, like, how he views women, which I already saw. I mean, you know, before he's called women on his blog, uh, his small-breasted biddies and, uh, Oh, Weights no. and, and tight tops, Twinkies and tight tops, or something. And uh, I mean, he's just yeah. I'm I'm not too concerned about what he thinks about. Well, it's almost it's almost a um, recommendation of your book. Yeah, I, know. I kind of feel like it's a badge of honor, really. Um, but in right. a little creepy. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I haven't really. He's thrown so many softballs that I would love to reply to, but I really don't want to fuel it. Yeah, we were talking about, like, how do we even ask her about this? But it's like he just basically says, her theology was right, but not uh right. Men do have <laughs> all the time. Yeah, well. it's so sad. He basically just says, no, you know, all men are trying to sleep with all women, but godly men are trying to think of a biblical way to sleep with women, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. No well, I will agree with him on one thing. Doug Wilson should not be friends with women. Yeah. And we're, is- gonna, we're okay with that. I don't, no I don't want to be. From me, yes. I don't think I could be friends with him because oh, he no. doesn't know how to be. I mean, if a man cannot engage with a woman without thinking like that, then right. 
clearly much growth needs to happen before he's in a place. And and so he's right there. Yeah. And that's one of those wisdom and discernment things. Exactly. If you can tell that, and it's a weaker brother thing too, there might be some people that are not quite as, Oh yeah. Speaking in a perverse way that you can look and they're like, he's really not in a place where he can be. Wisdom and discernment is so important. And uh, instead of applying blanket rules, I mean, if some, for example, someone's addicted to pornography, you know, uh, or a serial adulterer, these aren't people who are viewing women correctly and therefore cannot be friends. Or if their spouse is just really uncomfortable with it, fairly or unfairly. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 uh, We were talking about that. We need to honor our spouses. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't know what caused that. And we don't know. Mm -hmm. That's just not your place to be the kind of friend that overrules a spouse. Right. Mm -hmm. And we should never want to subvert anyone's marriage. No. That's, I mean, that is as closest to a blanket rule as I get is usually... If I wouldn't want, I don't have a spouse anymore, but if I wouldn't want my spouse or their spouse or everyone in the church to read these messages or to see and my phone or to be in, yeah, yeah, that's definitely not where it should be. If, if, if something in me is, thinks, well, people wouldn't understand if they saw this, that's where well, you yeah, I totally feel like it's, our interactions need to be something that are fine in public. Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And I don't need to keep secret. Yeah. And in, I mean, if you're going to have a blanket rule, something like that, I think is like just transparency. Right. And absolutely. Yeah. And that's what have, all friendships should be. Exactly. It's really a blanket rule in the same sense as like, love your neighbor. Right. The blanket rule, like just all the time, love people and don't hurt them or use them. Well, and you will want to be transparent if you're loving that friend right. and that friend's spouse more than you love yourself. If you're actually wanting good for them. You're not going to want to do something selfish. That's perfect. Uh, yeah. And the kind of leads in sort of the five, which is just, you know, the subtitle of the book is Avoidance is Not Purity, or something very similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, do you think, and I think you did say this earlier, in fact, um, do you think that it's safe to say that not only is avoidance not purity, but avoidance can actually retard the growth of true purity? It can retard... Um, maturity, it can keep you, it's almost like a baby gate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you do need baby gates sometimes when you're a baby, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to live your life never, ever learning to walk, walk upstairs. upstairs. Right. Um, yeah, we should be avoiding sin, right? But not people. Right. Now, if there's sinful people, then maybe we should be avoiding them too. But avoidance itself is not the same thing as purity. And as I was saying earlier, and, and I just really enjoyed writing that chapter on purity. Um, purity is, is who we are in Christ. And that is about properly orienting our affections then um, from him, through him, and back to him again. And so this is an ongoing active thing. And how does that then play into our relationships it's something we're offering to God all the time and loving our neighbor correctly. Now, if we were to have impure thoughts about someone, then we need to confess those to the Lord. Right. And we need to deal with those and mortify those. So um, then that's an active part of purity as well, not following through and indulging those thoughts. Right. So um, there's so much more and it's, it's a giving really, um, not just a withholding. 
how people think of purity. They think of it as sort of being untouched, but right. it's not being untouched. It's being rightly right. giving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's loving someone correctly. So, um, but properly, like right, right. And I mean, I do think that the subtitle is a bit provocative, and I didn't come up with it. <laughs> you know, mine was uh, bringing out the beauty of brother and sisterhood in Christ. <laughs> so, but, you know, that doesn't sell as well. Um, so, I mean, there is a provocativeness to the title where we could say, oh, but sometimes we do need to avoid. And I, I would absolutely agree with that. Well, like you said, you avoid sin. And, like, the way I thought of the title as soon as I heard it, you know, it's like, it, again, with sort of the baby. Like, I put, you know, if you have a toddler in the house, you lock up the cabinets because you're keeping them away from dish soap or toxic and and it's never as an adult you know so you still don't drink dish soap i guess teenagers are to some degree doing that <laughs> you should you should you don't need to always have the whole cabinet locked because you get to a maturity where you know not to start guzzling any bottle that you see full of whatever. (laughs) So of course we're still avoiding, I still avoid drinking um, bleach, but I don't have to lock it away from myself because I just don't want to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I know what tastes good and I know what will kill me. So um, we shouldn't find the book to uphold what's good and what we're called to. Right. And if I think that men are good, and I do, you know, in general, manhood that God created is good. Right. I don't want to avoid men. I want to avoid sinning with men. I want with to avoid against sinning against them. I want to avoid being sinned against. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's almost, it's, it's weird that it's such a controversial idea and that the book's at all controversial because it's almost hard to find anything to say about it only because it's all so obvious yeah. <laughs> just not that, that you said anything that was too obvious but just that oh yes brothers sisters jesus <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really hope that the book you know there's i knew there was going to be controversy and you know i've i've been hit with some pretty bad slander um on social media but for the most part I'm I'm having great interactions with pastors and and lay people and academics about you know starting this conversation and working well with it. I've been invited now to speak on some Christian college campuses about it and and with entire you know um, dioceses or presbyteries or different things like that on on these topics of interactions between men and women because it's just so important. And so, um, and I think needed right now in our culture, I think what's going to help us from falling into this sexual revolution and what's going to help us from these affairs in the church and things like this is a proper understanding of, you know, our anthropology and uh, our position in the church, our position in Christ and what we're called to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's definitely, um, you were right when you said, you know, I have to write it because nobody else is writing it because this is the time. This is when it's necessary. I almost think it's when we're the body of Christ might be just about mature enough to hear it or there's enough people that are starting to mature 
and um, know what to do with it without, you know, lynching anyone. Mm-hmm. And and where it's the most needed with everything that's going on in the culture right now. I'm trying to make whatever's making a sound go away. Um, here it is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the with um, obviously with all everything that's going on in Hollywood and Me Too. Mm-hmm. You know, the world is asking themselves. They're seeing that their that their philosophy is empty. That it's leading not to more freedom, but to more abuses, more shame, more confusion. But they don't know the answer right now. They're they're trying to cope with that, and we have the answer. And the church should be modeling this. We should be the ones that the world is saying, "Well, hey, you know, how come how come their relationships are um, flourishing?" And, and ours aren't. And That's what Deuteronomy 4 says, is that people will see and they will say, look at these people, look, the, look at the way that they enact justice, the way they enact mercy, that, and then, you know, the New Testament. Know them for their love for one another. Right. Yeah. <laughs> their love for, so simple. Not they'll know them for their love for the one another of the same sex unless they're married, at which point they're allowed to start loving each other. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a disclaimer after that. No, just... Um, uh, I don't know if you already mentioned that, but that was one of the things that um, stood out to me so much in the book was just the way that uh, you talked about the way that we've sexualized every single kind of affection to the point where people are pretty sure Jonathan and David were gay right. because or homosexuals because they just can't conceive of any kind of love like that between um, between friends. Right. And so it's something we're losing in our male and male friendships too, our female friendships as well, but particular male friendships. And then with each other where we can actually really love each other in a way that people will know and they will see, Oh, they're loving each other without feeling like they have to have sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which, right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying let's be naive. I'm not saying let's pretend like uh, we don't have feelings like that ever. I'm saying, let's deal with this stuff. Right. You know, like let's orient things right. Let's identify what's wrong and deal with it. And let's grow. Right. Let's grow, let's grow up and be adults that can rightly get married. And Because the way that some of these people, like Doug Wilson and stuff, are describing marriage and men and male and female relationships is almost like we're perpetual teenagers. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we can grow <laughs> past that hormone ridden stage where you can't look at a, a woman or a man and think of anything as a potential lover or whatever you can, we can do that. And the body of Mary sounds very attractive to me. God promises us that we can mature and that we can grow. Mm-hmm. Well, he empowers us to do that with his own spirit. Right. This really is just a relief. A lot of the pushback that we get uh, for a lot of things, this and, you know, killing lust and uh, comes from people like that thing of avoiding is actually like they're protecting sin. They don't want to actually expose it and deal with it because that's painful and feels impossible. So they want to continue to cover it up and and avoid the topic completely and avoid each other completely. But like living inside of this redemptive state amongst each other is, is such a relief and it's very beautiful. And it's something that um, our message shouldn't be controversial and your message shouldn't be controversial, but it is. (laughs) But really, it's just a beautiful thing. We can be friends. We can relate to one another. And I think that is really 
it's not, you know, at the end I say, I'm not telling everybody to start a movement now or to go out seeking friends from the opposite sex. Like that isn't what friendship is even about. You, no. you find friends along the way as you're serving in common missions right. and, and people who are like seeking out people just to be friends with them is kind of anti medical to the whole point of yeah. first place. And it's not some one-on-one exclusive thing. Right. 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 Yeah. I think this is one of those things that you can organically start to apply to your life without having to, you don't have to buy a t-shirt or anything. You just start right. <laughs> treating people like people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's what we always end up talking about right. in, in, on this podcast and in uh, the circles we move in is all about service. Mm-hmm. You leave your service. If really we want go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just agreeing with you. It really oh. is all about service. If we want to change the way people look at friendship between men and women or friendship at just really friendship at all and understand what it is, we just have to be friends. Yeah. Um, be a friend. Be a friend. Yes. Um, well, that is all the questions that we had for you. And um, we really, really, really appreciate you being here with us. My, my computer is doing something where I can see everything very slowly. <laughs> yeah, mine's kind of doing that right now, too. But, <laughs> it, it was awesome chatting with you today, and we really appreciate your willingness on our little on our little podcast. And I want to encourage everyone to check out The Mortification of Spin, um, check out Housewife Theologian, and please, please buy Why Can't We Be Read Friends? Because it's a really good book, and it will change the way that you look at um, such an important yeah. issue at such an important juncture in the culture. Yep. So Thanks, thank guys. you. Thank you so much. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. Good meeting you too. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. And I hope that, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I look forward to your next book. <laughs> <laughs> the The next thing that God tells you to do that you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, you keep up with your podcasting. I think this is an awesome sister dynamic here. I keep reading books and encouraging others, too. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you later. You too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.